Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. I'll start off by saying it's always been God's dream for you and all of his creation to live in abundant life. You and I are wired for abundant life. When we don't experience abundant life, there is a gap. We feel an emptiness. There is a hole in our life when we are not experiencing that abundant life. Yet the promise of abundant life is set in the midst of of the reality of the world. (laughs) And if you've been breathing the last uh, few years, uh, tremendous cultural changes are kind of happening before our very eyes. We hear stories of injustice, and we ask, why is the world so dark? We see suffering from war and disease, and we ask, why is the world so dark? We see corrupt leaders, politicians, priests, corporate boards live with seemingly endless immunity. And we wonder why is the world so dark? We experience tyrannical and authoritarian governments and institutions running roughshod over people's basic human rights and we ask what in the world is going on? There seems to be a steady stream of unease and unrest on multiple different fronts and we tend to cry out why is the world so dark. It's not hard for us to kind of stand back and see the darkness of the world, feel overwhelmed by it. What do we do? And a lot of times our attitude is the problem's out there. The problem is the darkness of culture. But if we so happen to willingly turn the mirror on ourselves, or if uh, life turns the mirror on us, wow, There's maybe more there than we thought at first. We see our own inadequacy. We see our own weakness, our own susceptibility to temptation, our own narcissism, pride, envy, hatred, revenge, resentment, frustration, lack of faith, our own desire for control, our own desire to define what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And if we really grapple with it, we see that darkness is not just a symptom of culture. It's actually a symptom of the human condition. It's in us. That darkness that I'm so aware is out there is actually the same seeds are germinated in me, in us, in our own hearts. But if we're here this morning on Easter celebrating, God intervened in this darkness. God intervened. There was no hope for mankind. No self-help book, no matter how sexy of a presentation, could never bring you into abundant life that God made you for. And so here on Easter, we celebrate that God intervened in the story. God started the story. It says that in darkness, there, there was darkness swirling, and then God said, let there be light. And when God said, let there be light, even today, astrophysicists say, man, the universe is expanding. Into what is another question, but they're saying it's expanding at a certain speed. It is expanding at the speed of light.
God's word never passes away. When God said, let there be light, there was light. And it's continuing to expand. So God brings light in the midst of darkness. We see this story beginning to unfold in the scriptures. Yet people chose darkness over knowing and walking with God, their creator. So God chooses a nation for himself through this man, Abraham, to reveal who he was to the rest of the world. But they, too, love darkness. And so along comes a prophet named Isaiah, many hundred years before Christ, declaring God's remedy solution. In Isaiah 9-2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. It goes on, and it's this messianic prophecy that when this king comes, the increase of his government will never end, and he will be known as everlasting father, prince of peace. And so finally, that light came. Dawned at the right place at the right time, Jesus is sent by God. God held true to his word, and he sent his divine solution. Jesus confirmed being the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic word when God, of God, when he said in John 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. And Jesus said that he is the light. This fulfillment of Isaiah has now come to pass, that God has now tabernacled with us. And that he comes to bring light, to call us out of darkness. I think if we're familiar with what that darkness is, I think that we may have had a life interplayed, intermixed, tied up into that darkness. But he says, but if you have the light, that's him. It will lead to life. God wants you to experience abundant life. That what a promise. All this darkness that we're familiar with, but Jesus knew the human heart. In John 3, he said, God light, God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. It's, it's our human nature to not want to see. We don't want to see all the fine details. We like abstractions. We like generalities because we don't like the mirror turned back on ourselves. It's so much easier to look at the problems out there to say, oh my gosh, it's so awful. But then when we want to deal with evil personally, that becomes a more difficult challenge. There's an old story about a desert nomad who woke up in the middle of the night feeling very hungry. He lit a candle and began eating dates from a bowl beside his bed. He took a from one of them and saw a worm in it. And so he threw it out of his tent. Uh, he took a bite from another one, a second date, found another worm and threw it out also, reasoning that he wouldn't have any dates left to eat if he continued. He blew out the candle and quickly ate the rest of the dates. That's what our heart likes to do. We like to hide from the light. We tend to ignore the most important things out there, distracted by lesser things. And that happens also in our own life. We get distracted with lesser things, and the more important things usually 
is put on the back burner for some future time. But Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I thought of one example. Uh, Recently, I heard of a young man who, um, for some reason, uh, I think that he's staying with his grandmother, uh, but uh, young man, uh, everything's provided for him, but for some reason, he's deciding to kind of just take a little from from his grandmother. Just a little, just a little, just a little. And you put those things together, and she probably doesn't notice or know. But then after a while, after years, you realize, oh, my gosh, what have I, what's been stolen? And that's a lot of times the slow warming of the frog happens in our own life. You know that kind of experiment that if you put a frog on a hot pan, it'll jump right off. But if you put a frog on a cold pan and warm it slowly, it'll never jump off. It'll never sense the slow increasing temperature changes, but that's a lot like us. We can't sense the small increase of the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying our lives. And so here's this call by Jesus to say, man, the thief does that. Aren't you tired of the thief stealing, killing, and destroying you? I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So stop let the enemy confuse you, stealing your heart for God, for lesser things of the world. Jesus came to give humanity the ability to have the life that they were made to live, to be filled with God, to live in resurrection life. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This abundant life is not stored up for you when you die. This abundant life can be entered into now when you walk with God. God's abundant life comes by no other means but through Christ alone. But it's amazing that God did the impossible, the abundant life of God that we were made to be fueled by and lived in was lost in the garden, but through his crucifixion and resurrection has been now made available again to you and me. And God can turn our darkness and transform us into being filled with his resurrection life. God's will and purpose has always been to rule and reign with his creation. God wants to rule and reign with you. That is, people who are called by his name should be lights in the midst of darkness. Jesus, we can get overwhelmed by darkness. I think Jesus knew that propensity of our heart to feel overwhelmed in times. And so Jesus prays this in his kind of final prayer before he goes to the cross. Before the Father, he asks this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God has sent you into the world just as he sent Christ. Christ never called us to escape the world around us, but to be planted right in the midst of it. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, he tells his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You are the light of the world. When our darkness is yielded to God's resurrection life, man, he transforms us to be a light in the midst of a people in great darkness. In other words, God expects his people to be his voice and hands in reality. There's a new book uh, called Greatness by uh, Dr. David L. Cook. He is a sports psychologist, and uh, it's a real thin book. It's kind of nice, but he uh, helps teams and individuals play at their best. And uh, David Cook, uh, in this book, Greatness, writes of his time. uh, he He was coaching professional athletes, professional basketball players, professional golfers. Well, he began working with, uh, do you ever remember David Robinson? Ever remember DR? All right. Well, uh, he played for the San Antonio Spurs, and uh, he was one of the great players of his day. Up on the level of Jordan, kind of around the same time, but definitely not maybe in the setting. Anyway, uh, I didn't want to get into a big Sunday argument on Jordan. Anyway, but he played for the San Antonio Spurs, and he went through, a, he was one of the all-stars, previous all-star but he went through a massive slump, massive slump, and he could not hit a free throw. He was under 50% for his three throws, totally bombing, and he was kind of the ca- a little ca- uh, like emotional captain of the team. They started, they started losing, and the Spurs, going on this massive lose streak, uh, they call in this guy, Dr. Cook, and... Uh, so Dr. Cook, they bring him in, and they say, hey, do you think you can help David Robinson? So uh, he helps David Robinson walk out three things, and pretty simple. <laughs> Imagine someone throwing, making a free throw. Imagine someone else making a free throw. All right, now imagine you put yourself in the scene, play out the scene in your mind as if you are making the free throw. And then step three is... I want you to trust that you can do it. That's it. Like that was the three instructions he gave DR for him to walk out. And he got him to walk this out. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Well, David Robinson goes on to become the MVP of the league that year and the Spurs win the NBA championship. So a few years later, there's a young man named Tim Duncan who kind of is David Robinson's replacement on the Spurs. Well, he too gets in a slump himself, and so, hey, we should bring that guy back to see if he can help. Cook sits with Tim Duncan, does the same thing with him, has Tim Duncan write a two-page paper on what it physically looks like for him to play a game in which they win. Like, bro, the homework, what's going on? He goes on that year to be the MVP of the league. The Spurs win the championship that year. And so you get to the, this end chapter. You get to the last chapter, what you think is the last chapter. And the whole time, he's just kind of sharing his, you know, life tools, what he's kind of, some stories, testimony, hey, this works. But you get to this last chapter, and it says there's one more chapter in this book. I sealed it. Don't open it unless you're prepared to be offended. Well, of course, you know, it's like once you say that, you've got to open it up. You know, who's not going to crack the seal? So 
You cut it open and you begin to read. I'm a Christian. Everything you've learned in this book, I've learned from Jesus Christ. I'm born again. And he has a three or four pages on how Jesus saved him, and he goes through what he just taught, and how he shares how each of those principles he taught are rooted in Scripture, and how those Scriptures have formed his life. And the last page is an invitation to receive Christ so that they too can truly be successful. It's one man who took the call to be a light in the midst of darkness. And he goes out, and it is a light, and it draws people that would never maybe dawn the door of a church. But that is what God is equipping us with, the resurrection life, so that we go out and that we are the church. So shine. Imagine you walking in resurrection life. Imagine your life walking in the same resurrection life that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside you and you experiencing that resurrection life, that same source of life that Jesus walked in and has promised to you. Imagine resurrected intimacy with God. Imagine resurrected intimacy with God. You may have grown up in church, been familiar with just kind of a stale religious duty of just kind of reading the Bible, but God wants to transform and resurrect that and bring his life into your time with him so that you're walking into resurrection life in intimacy with him how about resurrected character come on baby we need some resurrected character in this generation don't we learning how to do business with god learning how to take our brokenness to the cross and say god i repent repentance is not just a one-time thing that gets you in heaven repentance is a lifestyle that jesus leads us into being because that is how abundant life starts to come on us more and more in different areas of our life as we yield our brokenness to him. How about resurrected service? Imagine what the company that you work for or uh, the house that you run, imagine what it would look like if it was run on resurrected service towards one another. Everybody going the extra mile for one another. Clean. I mean, you don't have to clean up everybody. That's what I find I tend to do. But uh, that's my little say in the house. Anyway, praise the Lord. I'm kind of a neat freak and my father's my kids. Anyway, um, but imagine resurrected service with your spouse if you're married. Laying your life down for your children. Laying your life down for your co-workers and neighbors. Living in resurrected service. Knowing that as you pour out to others that God automatically fuels you right back. How about resurrected view of reality? Man, the more I know God and his word. It gives me the lens to see what's really going on, to see the spiritual agenda of the forces of darkness encountering those lies with God's truth. Last year, it seemed like in my own just life that God was just kind of yelling, not just to me, but just to his church, wake up. Where are my people? Wake up. It's time to wake up. God is resurrecting our perspective. He's not twisted up in the continual and ever-growing sea of lies from our culture. God is calling his people to stand and to stand strong with conviction and boldness to live in resurrected life. Philippians 2, I'll just end with this. Paul says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a twisted and crooked generation 
that you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Man, this, this vision of God's people standing strong on their conviction of who God is. This is his reality. This is his game. This isn't yours to redefine. This is God's world, and he is king. And to stand strong in that in this generation. As I've been preparing even this week, the Lord added a little extra. Sometimes when we think about darkness and standing and being light in the midst of darkness, again, that sense of overwhelmingness can kind of get on uh, followers of Christ. But I would say this, ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. But it's in moments in each generation that he uses people who are yielded to him to walk in the exploits that he prepared in advance for you to walk in, to, fuf- to carry on and fulfill his dream of seeing heaven be made manifest on earth. We are called to stand strong and shine his reality in a darkening world around us. So I feel like the call this morning is may we live an abundant life. Dust off those areas of your life that you've kind of leveled off, that you kind of said, hey, I think God's kind of done with me here in this area. No. Knock that dust off. Say, God, I want to live in your resurrected life. I don't want Jesus to go through all that he did and pay the price that he did for me to live a comfortable, good life. God has designed you to live a great life in him with his abundant life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your abundant life. God, I pray that we may have gotten used to just a stale version of following you. Lord, whether it be uh, whether it be just American Christianity, whatever it may be, Lord, I feel like there's maybe even some here that uh, because of just some other followers of Jesus, you've put a wall with God. And I'll say this, if somebody plays Beethoven wrong, who do you get mad at? Do you get mad at Beethoven or do you get mad at the one playing it wrong? feel like the Lord's just like, stop being angry at the person who in your life in the past played it wrong. But God wants to draw your heart straight to him. So, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, that we would live in your resurrected life. Lord, if there's any area that we know that isn't operating in that kind of life, Father, I pray that even here this morning we would yield it to you. Say, God, take this area. God, take this relationship. God, take this way of I live in business out in the world. God, whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would exchange that mediocre type of life for your resurrected life in that area. Lord, right now, I pray that we would just bring it to you. God, I give that to you right now. Give this to you. I hand it over to you. God, and I pray that you would fill me with your resurrected life. The same spirit that raised Jesus. God, I pray that you would fill us with that same spirit. That we would be your lights in this generation. Lord, we have a sense of sobriety about us, I feel like, in this season. And God, we are looking to you to be our anchor. God, to be our guide. And God, to be our source of resurrected life. 
God, I feel like this call, we can't do church like we used to. And so, Father, with that, Lord, there's a call for us to rise up and be your disciples. God, be your people in this hour that you would put a vertebrae in us to stand strong. Lord, that we have conviction of who we are, why we do what we do, because, God, you are the God of everlasting life. And so, Lord, I just pray for a special grace in this next season of our life, that we would live in your resurrected life. Father, the, the need is great. Lord, you're calling your people to rise up. Be his confessional church in this hour. And be who he's made you to be. He's made exploits for you to walk in. God, I pray that we would walk in those exploits. May we not get distracted with comfort. May we not get distracted with just happiness or pleasure. God, those are so secondary to the purposes and call on our lives from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would break open our calluses, our resistance, and our walls. Bring us your resurrected life. God, we need you desperately. We need to be your people in this time and place. So, Lord, we just thank you for your resurrected life. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for it. Lord, may we be at peace. Lord, may we know. May we become familiar. We become at home with your abundant life. And may we watch out for others that are settling for less. Lord, give us eyes to see that we may be lights for others that are settling. Lord, we're seeing the enemy steal, kill, and destroy from their life. God, give us a heart that takes our eyes off our narcissistic self and on to others that are hurting, that need you, that need a word of life, that need encouragement from you. So, Lord, I pray that we would be your people in this next season in a way that we've never experienced before. We would sense your hand of purpose on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.